Okay, so my sermons typically coincide with where I'm at in my personal readings, and this past week I finished up the Minor Prophets, uh, which is a pretty fantastic and amazing section. That's where the Bible ends. That's where the Old Testament ends. And what stood out in all of that was something said by a man named Amos, A-M-O-S, in chapter 3, verse 3, says, Do two walk together unless they agree to do so? And the implication with Amos was, can a man walk with God if he's not in agreement with God? Right? The answer is no. So 23 years ago, I was stationed at a Marine Corps base in Hawaii. Mary and I and our oldest son, Nick, were at an office building. It's Saturday morning. I have no idea what we're doing, but Mary's... Uh, at a desk, I'm with Nick, and I find one of those spinning office chairs. <clears throat> so I put Nick in it. I spin him around once, nice and slow, and he smiles at me. So I spin him faster. He giggles, right? And in dad's son language, that means it's time to go all out, right? So I start spinning him, and I'm spinning him right in the middle of this office building. And at some point, I think, oh, I better stop him. He's going to throw up, right? So I grab the chair. We make eye contact. He's laughing. We're both hysterical. No one else is laughing, just us two. And this is when my brain turns off, and he jumps out of the chair, and he starts running as fast as he can for his mother, right? And I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. The problem is he's dizzy. His mother is not right there. His mother's over there, and he's running like this. He's about this tall which is about the same height as those old 500-pound metal and wooden government desks, which he ran into full speed. He hit right here, hits the ground. I, I swoop in. I pick him up. He's bleeding all over the place. I, what do I have to do? I have to put pressure on it. I have to hold the kid down, put pressure on his face, okay? And we make eye contact, and he thinks, I did it, Right? He won't talk to me for like two weeks. And I experienced the, the same pain as he did. I mean, it was traumatic, right? I'm like, oh, my God, this, my son's hurt, right? And at that moment, in that instance, we were not on the same page. We were not walking together. He was not, uh, we weren't in agreement. Can two walk together unless they agree to do so? No, they cannot. You cannot walk with God if you are not in agreement with him. So today we're going to touch on that. We're going to look at Amos. We're going to look at prophecy, why it's important, why it's relevant, and how we can be in agreement with God and how we can walk with him. Now, hopefully you're not thinking, Old Testament, you know. It's tough. I used to not like sermons about the OT. I like it now. Uh, maybe you're thinking, I'm saved. You know, I mean, I know this sounds bad, Ben, but I'm saved. I'm kind of over that hurdle. My walk is okay. I know where I'm going. Right? I'm good to go. Amen and praise God if you are. But your fight is not over yet. Your race is not done. And your walk with God, it continues until you're dead. You've got a lot more to do. So the big idea today, a disciple has to be in agreement with God in order to walk with him. And you do that 
by agreeing with what's in God's revelation. That's why Paul said in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 13, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. It's all right here. And it's all important. So let me ask you, how is your walk with God? Are you walking with God? Are you in agreement with him? Because if you're not, if you're not in agreement with God, you're not walking with God. And that begs the question, if you're not walking with God, who are you walking with? And where are you going? Now, if you're not saved today, you're not off the hook. Sometimes you can be off the hook. You're not off the hook today. You're infinitely further away from God if you're not saved. You're on an island in the middle of the Atlantic in a hurricane, completely lost, and you need that lifeline that only Jesus Christ can give you. So today's sermon will be for everybody, saved and the unsaved. So uh, the good news is that this has the answers. All the answers are right here. It shows us how to be in agreement with God, so we're going to go into the Scripture and try to figure this out. I'm in uh, Amos. We're going to be chapter 3, chapter 8. We'll bounce around a little bit. So uh, bear with me. Um, Old Testament. Why is the Old Testament relevant? Well, the New Testament is kind of built on the foundations of the Old Testament. Uh, The disciples, Jesus, all the Jewish people, this was their foundation. This is what they grew up on. They cut their teeth on the Old Testament. They memorized it. Their culture was based on it. Their morals, their values, everything. Jesus and the disciples, the Last Supper, they sang psalms from memory. It was so important to them. So here we go. I'm going to take you back to the 8th century. 8th century, there's a northern and a southern kingdom. Northern kingdoms called Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. Southern kingdoms where Jerusalem is. These are, these are Jews. These are our forefathers. And at this time, they experienced more prosperity than ever before since the time of Solomon. Remember King Solomon, son of David, the wisest man of all time. And that is considered, you would consider Solomon's time the golden age for Israel. This was number two. More money than ever before. Military stronger than ever before. The territories were expanding. They were growing. They were so good. Things were so nice. They would even go to places that had been taken over by other nations, and they would take them back. It's good. These were good things. The problem is that with this growth and security and prosperity came something else. And what came was internal decay. Internal decay. If you've studied Rome, Rome destroyed itself from within. You've probably heard that before. Their values, their morals went into the gutter, which weakened them so that barbarians could take them over, right? You've heard that story. Same thing is happening right now in Europe. I'm not talking about Brexit. I'm talking about in general. Many would argue the same thing is happening here in America. Moral decay. Internal decay. That's what's going on in Israel. Pagan worship by the Jewish people. 
pagan temples in their cities, pagan altars in the streets, a greed-driven society, uh, treat the poor and the downtrodden terrible. That's where they're at. They're falling away from God. So God responds, and he starts sending prophets to warn the people, to correct this course, to get them back on track. So there are two types of prophets. There are majors and minors. Uh, The majors you've heard of, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, they're called majors because the books they wrote were big. That's it. And then the minors, you've heard of uh, some of those as well. Their books were smaller, so they referred to them as minor prophets. What did they talk about? What did they prophesy about? Well, it wasn't just uh, the temple is going to be destroyed or there's going to be a Babylonian invasion or the Assyrians are coming. They, they prophesied about many things. Hosea. You've heard of Hosea. God said, marry this unfaithful woman. Her name is Gomer. Strange name, right? If you're older like me, you've heard of Gomer Pyle. Right? She was a beautiful woman. He marries her and she leaves and is unfaithful. And he goes and he pursues her. He brings her back. He still loves her. She leaves again. And he gets her and he brings her back over and over and over. And that represents how the Israelites treat God. He brings them in. He chooses them out of all the nations and they run off and worship a false god. And he pursues them. He brings them back. And they run off and do the same thing. It's a pattern. Joel, another prophet. We have a Joel here at church with a great family. His wife was up here last week. Uh, One of those families you just want to get to know. Joel said, hey, you know the locust that destroyed everything? That's punishment from God for your behavior. Uh, And by the way, in a few hundred years, the Holy Spirit's going to pour out uh, himself on all mankind. And then several hundred years later, what happens? The apostles are all in the upper room. They're praying, and the Holy Spirit rains down upon them. And Peter runs out in the street, and he gives a sermon. And thousands are saved. And Peter quotes Joel in Acts chapter 2. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. That's from Joel. It was relevant in Joel's day. It was relevant in Peter's day 2,000 years ago. And it's relevant today. Now, Amos, one of the minor prophets, one of the 12, he was a fig picker. Okay, he picked figs for a living. He, he uh, talked about himself as a fig picker and a herdsman. So a, a shepherd is way down here, lowly. No one wants to hang out with shepherds. That's where the herdsmen we're at. Okay? A very humble man, and God says, Amos, my people are doing it again. They're not walking with me. They're not in agreement with me. We have to warn them. So Amos shows up, this one man. And he says, You people are greedy. You're complacent. You're lazy. You're hypocrites. You don't take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans. Oh, and your idolaters also. Reminds me of what Jesus says in Mark's gospel. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world 
and lose his soul. That's what Israel's doing at this point. Amos puts it this way, chapter 8, verse 4. Listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and cheat the buyer with dishonest scales. And you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. In other words, you're rotten. You're broken. You don't even care about God. You just want to get these things over with so you can get back to your life, back to your godless ways. So these, critic, these criticisms hit home even today, even with us, because we do some of these things, right? Money, authority, power, intimacy, uh, entertainment. We take these things that are not negative in themselves and we, we place them above God. We place them before God. We pay more attention to those things than we do to God. And we do that, it's called idolatry. That's why it's relevant today. That's why it's important today. So Amos says, these are the things you're doing wrong. Here's how you fix it. Prototypical prophet, that's what they do. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's how you fix it. Here's the scary part. If you don't fix it, someone will fix it for you. And that's usually what happens. The, martyr, uh, the, the prophets were usually either ignored or killed and often didn't listen to the warning. And Amos says, remember, you're God's people. You're chosen. You're family. More is expected of you in chapter 3, verse 2. He quotes God saying, From among all the families on earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That's why I must punish you for your sins. And the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 6, mirrors that. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes each one he accepts as a child. And before we throw God under the bus for disciplining us and punishing us, don't we do that with our children? Isn't that what we do? Do we punish our children because we hate them? No. Do we punish them to lord our power over them? No, we punish them because we love them. We don't want them to be injured or hurt or killed. When I was eight, I lived in Germany, and I walked back and forth to soccer practice, and one night, for some reason, brain stopped working. I heard a party, so I went to the party. And I stayed for a few hours. Then I walked home. And on the way home, I noticed streetlights were on. And that's when I realized that I was dead. Because <laughs> there was one rule in my family. If the streetlights are on, you better be home. So my mom was waiting for me outside with a cigarette. Not for me, it was her cigarette and went thermonuclear. The whole neighborhood knew about it. And I don't even remember the punishment. I blocked it out. But I've never, I, I don't even like parties anymore at all. So it worked. Whatever she did, that's what the prophets do. They work with God to, to course correct. 
Thank God I listened to her. If you want to know the rest of uh, that story, the rest of Amos's story, I encourage you to read it. Um, it's short. Okay, it's a ten-minute book. Uh, most of the, the minor prophets are very short. Malachi closes out the Old Testament. It's like three pages. Okay, so it's very quick and easy to read. Amazing stuff. And they're, they're minor prophets, but what they did was not minor. So today our job as disciples is to walk with God. That's it. The Garden of Eden, if you remember that. God used to walk with Adam and Eve, right? When it was cool outside, he would show up, he would find them, and they would walk, and they would talk, and they would hang out and, and commune together. And then the fall came, and after the fall, it didn't happen anymore. And ever since then, God's been pursuing people to get that back. And 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to make things right, to be the perfect sacrifice and that's what happened. Jesus died on a cross. And he was buried. And he rose again. And he overcame sin, right? Your sin, my sin. He overcame all sin. He overcame death. And he said, and it's so simple. He said, if you believe in me and what I did and what I'm saying, then you can overcome it too. Which is the good news. But because of that today, there's no excuse for not walking with God. It's a double-edged sword. It's possible, but there's no more excuses. God's waiting for us to respond to him and then walk with him. And to do that, we have to be in agreement with him because two cannot walk together unless they agree to do so, right? So what does that mean? We know we have to walk with God how do we get in agreement with God? That's the question. We can't fix this in one sermon, but we can start. Okay, Today we can start, and it's surprisingly easy to walk with God. It's surprisingly easy to agree with God. And the first step is salvation. First step is salvation. Uh, Brent talked about salvation last week. He put it up on the wall. He explained what it means. It's a gift from God. Okay, it's a gift from God. You can't get good enough and then be saved. Uh, you can't earn your way. You can't work your way into heaven. Salvation is a gift. And it's always the first step for anything. I want to be a better husband. Good. Get saved. I want to be a better father. Good. Get saved. I want to be a better person, better at school, better at life, a better co-worker. I want to do all these things. Good. Get saved. It's always the first step. Always the first step. After that, consider who you are walking with. Because that's who you're in agreement with. Are you walking with the world? Is society, is politics, is what other people think, is Hollywood, sports, entertainment, you name it, is any of that more important to you than God? If that's the case, you're walking with the world. Remember, the world hates you if you follow Christ. 
The world hates God. The two are incompatible. If you're walking with the world, it's a very dangerous place to be. Are you walking with people? Is uh, your family, your friends, your co-workers, are any of them more important to you than God? Or is their counsel more important than what you see in Scripture? Is what they think of you more important than following God's standards? It's dangerous. People are not God. People are creatures. God is the creator. It's a very dangerous place to walk. Now, maybe you figured this out, and you said, I'm not falling for this trap. I'm not following the world, and I'm not following people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this alone, solo. I'm going to do this by myself. Monks used to do that, right? I like the monks. But that was just as unbiblical back then as it is today. We were never meant to do this alone. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Where two or three are gathered in my name. It's not good for man to be alone. Iron sharpens iron. We're not supposed to, we were never designed to do these things alone. Ever. This leaves one option, one viable option, and that is to walk with God, to be in agreement with God. And all that all that requires is obedience. Obedience. What does that mean? This is the part I told you was simple. Obedience means hearing what the Father tells us and doing it. Doing what it says in this book. Should I lie? No. Should I cheat? No. Should I steal? No. Should I go out with her when I know I shouldn't? No. Should I join in on the gossip? No. Should I, should I be a better husband? Yes. Should I tithe? Yes. Should I go to church? Yes. Should I help that guy even though I don't like him? Even though it really gets under my skin? Yes. Should I join the media team who has two openings? <laughs> yes, you should. Yes, you should. Look, all of this is predicated upon the idea that you have a saving faith in Christ. That's the bottom line. If you don't have that, it won't work, first of all. And the second part is that you commit to, to putting in the effort of becoming a disciple, of following Christ, of doing what disciples do. It takes work. It's hard. It's not a free ride. Salvation, yes. But doing the work, no. And finally... Live your life as if everyone is watching you and what you're doing in order to determine if they want to emulate you. Live your life as if everyone's watching, trying to decide if they want to copy you because that's what happens in real life. When you walk in here, people judge you. When you go to the store, people judge you. When you get gas, people judge you. When you walk around your front yard and interact in your neighborhood, people judge you. And they're trying to decide, do I want to be like that person? 
And they also judge us based on what you do. And they judge all of Christianity based on how you act. Each one of you and me. And the really scary part is they also judge God based on how you act. So no matter what you do, make sure you're glorifying God in your actions. If you do these things, you will be in agreement with God. Will you be perfect? No. But you will be in agreement with God and you won't be able to help but walk with God. So can you imagine with me for a minute if we all were in agreement with God and we just walked with God? Can you imagine what it would do to the world, to the people around us, to strangers? Can you imagine how that would draw people to us and it would draw people to the churches and it would draw people to Christ. That's what, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're here for. To walk in the ways of God. To be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Can, can you imagine what strangers would think? Would they be able to say, you hypocrites. I hate you people. All you care about is money and power. They wouldn't. Can you imagine how it would affect you and your families? If you're here last week, we had wives who stood up here and cried as they told us things their husbands were doing. And I sat over there hiding and crying as well. It's profound when people walk with God. It changes everything. So why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we just agree with God and follow him? What is stopping us from doing that? What's stopping you? Something to think about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, boy, we have a lot of people at our church and our family here who are hurting, Father. We've raised them up to you. We don't know how to fix those things. We don't know how to think about people who are sick, who are hurting, who are dying. We raise those families up to you. We thank you for the uh, inspiration that they are to us, Lord. I pray today, Lord, that these words uh, turn into action, that uh, my words are forgotten, that your words do their job, Lord. You say nothing you send out will come back fruitless. I pray that your words today are fruitless and that we have courage to just do what you tell us to do, to live like we're followers of your Son, Lord pray for everyone here. pray for our families and friends. We pray that, uh, that we can just be what you want us to be, who you want us to be, Lord, that we can follow you the way you want us to follow you and that know you the way that you wish to be known, Lord. Thank you for the blessings you give us. Thank you for your son, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.